If you'd open your Bible to the Gospel of Mark in chapter number 4 is where we're going to be tonight, Mark chapter number 4, and we're going to be talking tonight for those who are watching by streaming about my subject is watch out for the thorns, T-H-O-R-N-S, and you're going to see that in our scripture tonight, Mark chapter number 4. Now, we have lived in our home for, what, 28 years plus a few months where we've been there. And for over 20 years, Dottie has continually said through these years that uh, we need to have a lemon tree in our backyard. And, uh, you know, that's been her deal. And so we procrastinated about that for about uh, X number of years. But about four years ago, something like that, Dottie got some people to plant this lemon tree in our backyard. And actually, when it was planted, it was just about this tall on me. That was a, it's a small tree is what it was. But it has really grown, and it's doing really great. And I was out in the backyard this week, and I looked at that lemon tree. And here's what I concluded. I don't know exactly how this works, but if all the little blossoms on the tree mean we're going to have lemons, we will be selling lemons to H-E-B, Instead of going to H-E-B to get lemons, I mean, we have. Now, Jimmy and Lynn have a really monstrous lemon tree. And uh, I don't know how old your lemon tree is, but it's older than our lemon tree, and it's bigger, and it produces more lemons and bigger lemons. But we're coming after you, brother. You just hang on. But I'll tell you about our lemon tree. You, you know, if you're not careful, especially if you reach up to pull lemons or if you're pruning it in January along in there somewhere, if you're not careful, it has very sharp thorns. Thorns. I was telling somebody about that this week, and they said, I did not know that lemon trees had thorns. I said, well, I don't know about all lemon trees, but our lemon tree does. But I decided to do some in-depth research on lemon trees. And what I learned in my research that we have what is called a Lisbon, L-I-S-B-O-N lemon tree. And Lisbon lemon trees, which is what most people would have where we live, they all have thorns. Now, there's another kind of lemon tree called Eureka lemon trees that are more tropical areas. They, they produce lemons year-round. But Eureka lemon trees don't, don't have any thorns, but we have the thorn type. And if you are not careful, I'm talking about big thorns. And if you're not careful, they will do their damage. Now, spiritually, listen carefully. The devil has his thorns. And if we do not know what they are, and we are not careful we will find great damage comes to us in our spiritual life. Now, look with me in Mark chapter 4 because Jesus explains exactly what I'm talking about. In Mark chapter 4, the Bible says, and again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and he sat on it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. Now, I want to stop at that point. We'll pick up again in a moment. As we look in Mark chapter 4, just at what I've read, there are two obvious things Jesus changes at this point in his ministry. He changes the method of his teaching. 
And you say, well, how did he change the method of his teaching? First of all, by where he taught and by how he taught. If you look again in verse number one, it says he began to teach beside the sea. Now we're talking about the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, in fact, if you'll put your maybe bulletin where we are at this very moment, and if you turn with me over in John chapter 6, I think it is. I want to show you something. It's very, very interesting about the Sea of Galilee that uh, you hear a lot about it. If you've never been, it's, a mo- it's one of the most moving places that we ever go. But uh, uh, pastor's looking for John chapter 6. Here I am, John chapter 6 in verse 1. It says, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. In Tiberias, which is really a fishing village, it's over the beautiful part of Galilee, there is this body of water called the Sea of Galilee. It's called the uh, Sea of Tiberias. And in Luke chapter 5, you might want to just turn back to Luke chapter 5 and mark it because it's very, very interesting. It's called by another name. In Luke chapter 5, in verse number 1, it was John chapter 6, verse 1. Luke chapter 5, verse 1 says, On the occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And that word means a harp shape. In other words, the Sea of Galilee is shaped like a harp. It's 13 miles north to south long, and it's eight miles wide. And the deepest part of the Sea of Galilee, which the water, it can change based on the water, but can be the very deepest part, be 700 feet. And it, it's, it's, a, it's, the, it's a fresh body of water. It's not an ocean when we think about the sea. And it, of course, it originates up at Caesarea Philippi where the Jordan River begins and it flows right on down the Jordan River, comes into Tiberias at the Sea of Galilee. And most of Jesus' ministry, really the majority of it, was around the Sea of Galilee. It's a very, very beautiful place. So Jesus now has moved from in the synagogue. Now go back with me where we are in Mark chapter 4. And if you turn back one chapter, Turn back to Mark chapter 3, verse 1. It says, again, he entered the synagogue. So Jesus had previously taught in the synagogue where the Jewish people would come, the religious people would come. You and I would say the church people would come and he would teach. Now, when you come to Mark chapter 4, things really do change. His whole method changes, changes where he was going to teach, and it changes how he was going to teach. You say, how is that? Well, if you notice in verse number two, he began now teaching in parables. Of course, parables would just be, uh, you know, stories that people would understand. So here Jesus is, not in a synagogue. He's now out in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. The people are on the banks, and Jesus is going to teach them in parables. He's going to tell these earthly, simple, everyday stories, and they're going to have great spiritual lessons. Each parable would have one major lesson. So this is what we encounter. Now, as you look in Mark chapter 4, Jesus, in this chapter, it records four parables that Jesus taught. Now, you may wish to mark them in your Bible. I'll not belabor, but I'll give them to you. Uh, beginning with verse number one and two, like down through verse 20, is what we know as the parable of the sower. 
And we'll come back and talk about that briefly just in a moment. Now, beginning in verse 21, beginning in verse 21, Jesus teaches what is called the parable of the lamp. He tells another story. And then when you go down to verse 26, he teaches a third parable. He tells a third story. In verse 26, it's called the parable of the growing seed. And then the parable that we would all be very familiar with would be the fourth parable, the parable of the mustard seed, which begins down in verse number 30. So in Mark chapter 4, we have these four parables, and he tells these stories, he, these little parables, just one right behind the other. And then when you come to verse 13, all the way down through verse uh, 20 along in there, uh, he explains these parables. He first tells the parable, then he explains the parable. Now, in Mark chapter 4, you not only have these four parables, you have four different kinds of ground. Four different kinds of ground. And uh, you may want to mark this in your Bible. In verse number 4, you see the first one. In some of your translations, it will say, say, and he sowed and some seed fell along the wayside or maybe the path. It's talking about hard ground. In other words, I can, I can just picture Jesus in the boat. Here all the people are on the bank. It, well, maybe that Jesus said, you see that man over there sowing seed? He said, now he's throwing that seed, and some of that seed is going to fall by the wayside. It's going to fall on the path. Like here would be the road, but by the side of the road, there would be the path where the people would walk. And as people kept walking on that path, that ground became as hard as pavement, as hard as pavement. So that's, that's ground number one. Now, in verse number five, we see a second ground, and that is the rocky ground. If you look in verse 5, other seed fell on rocky ground. Then if you look in verse 7, he talks about a different ground, a thorny ground. He says other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns were up and choked it, etc. And then, of course, in verse number 8, he talks about the good ground. He said other seed fell on good ground or good soil and produced grain. And it goes more to say about that. So just get the, in your mind, Mark chapter 4, Jesus changes his method from teaching in the synagogue. Now he goes out amongst the, the, the common people to tell them and teach them in ways they would understand. And he uses these four different kind of grounds to illustrate his points. Now, because of the time we have tonight, I want to focus on one of these. I want to focus on the one that uh, talks about the thorny, the, the thorny grounds. Because, and he, he talks about it in verse 7, and then if you look over in verse 18, as he explains the thorny ground, he says, others are the ones sown among the thorns. And then he says, they're the ones who hear the word, etc. I want us to zero in on the thorny ground. And here's why I've chosen this one. Because basically, this is where you and I live. This is the world in which we find ourselves. And as I look at what Scripture says and think about my life and think about what Jesus uh, t teaches here and what Jesus says here, uh, I, I think there's some great lessons for us. Now, let's, let's look because he explains in a wonderful way what these 
thorns are in the spiritual realm. We know what a thorn is physically on our lemon tree. I know what a thorn is. Well, the devil has his thorns. And that's the lesson Jesus is teaching. He's not teaching about lemon trees or rose bushes. He tells these everyday stories, but he said, now here's the lesson to be learned. And with each of these stories, he has a great lesson. Now, he explains what these thorns are in verse number 19. Look in verse 18 again. He said, others are the ones sown among the thorns, and they are those who hear the word. Now, think about Christian people today. Most Christian people, some more, some less, but Christian people hear the word. People hear the word uh, in various ways, and we'll not develop that. But, but what happens is they hear the word and Satan has his thorns and these thorns you and I deal with, I think you do, I know I do to some degree or another in my everyday living. And we see them in verse number 19. If you look in verse 19, here they are. Thorn number one, I'm going to say, Jesus calls it the cares of the world. Thorn number two, the deceitfulness of riches. And thorn number three, the desires for other things. Enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfaithful and unfruitful. Well, let's look at that a moment because just this thorn number one, when I, you know, I think about, you know, what does Satan do to mess us up? What does Satan do to kind of get us, lose our focus? lose our sense of direction. Well, he has these thorns, and one of them is the cares of this world. Now, literally, that would be the distractions that you and I experience in the day and time in which we live. Oh, we could list, I could list so many things, and they're not necessarily bad things. In fact, they can be good things, but they can be distractions and, and they can cause us to be preoccupied with temporal things. And that's the thing in my own life that, that, that I want to guard against and try. And sometimes I, I realize I've become preoccupied with this temporal thing, or I've become preoccupied with that temporal thing. Now, we have to take care of what we have to take care of. I mean, we can't just live our life all day long, every day reading the Bible and praying. We have responsibilities, and we, we, we need to do what we need to do. But here's the problem. We can get so distracted from these things, and we can become so preoccupied with these things that, that God just kind of gets pushed aside and then pushed behind and then kind of forgotten. And, you know, I, I think about my life, I think about the lives of many others that you, you, you watch people that at one time in their life, they're very close to God, they're very faithful in what they do, and the, the next thing you know, you look around and, you know, and it's just not that way anymore. Well, just think about your life, and I would encourage you, this is a verse that we need to remember after the sermon tonight, don't let the cares of this world uh, become a thorn that Satan uses to cause you to just become completely preoccupied with things that are temporal things, because that is always a thorn that does great damage. Then he mentions a second, the deceitfulness of riches. Well, 
I don't need to say to you, you know, but we need to all remind ourselves that money and material possessions will not satisfy the desires of our heart. That's not to say that if you don't have any money, then all the desires are satisfied. It's not the money much or the money none. It's nothing but God can satisfy the desires of our inner self and our heart. But so many times we get caught this way. You see, the whole problem with... uh, with this matter of riches, money, and material things, they, they promise what they can't produce. And then what they do, they blind you to spiritual things. And we have to guard against this. And as God blesses us, we have to guard even more and more against this. And, you know, you take that and you apply it however it needs to be applied to your life. But it's a true thing. And then Thor number three, very, very interesting the desires for other things. You know, our desires, of course, God knows our hearts. That's why the Bible says, guard your heart, for out of it, you know, proceed the issues of life. But our greatest desire, and John hit on it this morning over in Philippians chapter 3, where Paul said, my, my desire is to know God and the power of his resurrection. Like our desire is always, hopefully, to know God in a deeper and better way. And if we're not careful, you'll get desiring other things. And here again, it's not like we don't have a desire for God, but he's not on the front line anymore. He's not number one. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And I, I just, you know, share my own journey that, you know, you know I want my desires to be right. I want my desires to know God better and to love God more. You see, the better you know God, the more you love God. You know, sometimes the more you know somebody, the less you like them. You know, you, you like them better if you just know them at a distance. Do you, have you ever had that experience? Yeah. Well, it's the opposite with God. The better you know God, the more you will love God. And so... You know, how do we know God? This is where this whole desire thing is simple. We spend time with God. And I think where we get tripped up at this point is that we have this idea that if in the mornings we would have a good two-hour quiet time, that then we'll go through the day and we'll know God better and love God more. Now, I want to encourage you to read your Bible and have a quiet time in the mornings best you can. But at the very same time, don't let that be your only interaction with God through the day. And I think that's a mistake we make. We have such an emphasis on, you know, how much Bible we can read in a year. And, and we need to read our Bible every day. Please don't think I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is we need to, we need to talk to God throughout the day as we just deal with practical things. And uh, I believe that because he's our heavenly father, we're his children, and we need to involve God uh, in what we're doing, in the decisions we're trying to make, the plans we're making, and just throughout the day uh, have communication with God. Uh, You don't always even have to have your eyes closed, but include God in your real life, not just here on Sunday when we come to church or in the quiet time that you have. And, and the more time that we spend 
with God, the better we know God. And if you have the liberty of having a longer quiet time than maybe some others might have, then, then you're blessed. Now, in my journey, in my, my vocation, in my work, and I think every preacher, if they will be honest about this, and hopefully every preacher's honest, but the trap that preachers fall into is that their sermon preparation time becomes their quiet time. I think out of your sermon preparation time, there can be some great quiet time. But there's a difference between just opening my Bible and following the reading plan I'm following this year. I'm way back over at the plan I'm following. I just hope I can live long enough to get out of the Old Testament. You've got me in the Old Testament. I was looking, I think it's about September or somewhere that I, that I is that right? Is it, do you remember? No? Well, well, I mean, you shouldn't remember. It's sometime, it's sometime after summer, it seems like, that we, I looked at that yesterday. I should remember myself. But, uh, but I'm being so blessed. I'm reading things in the Old Testament that either I didn't pay attention or that, have you noticed this? Sometimes you read something you've read many, many times and you see something you've never seen. That's, that is, that's just the Spirit of God opening our eyes. So I encourage you to do that. But then as we read these Bible verses and read these stories and read about the things God has done, somehow the Holy Spirit puts them in our mind. And then when we get out here and need them, they're there to help us and to bless us. So my encouragement to you tonight is to understand this. There is a God, yes. There is a devil, yes, I wish it were not, but it is. And the devil has his thorns, more than these three, but I think these three are probably some of the three, some of the ones that we struggle with the most. So I want you to bow with me tonight as we just say to God, God, we want to know you better, and we want to love you more. And the way to do that, God, is to know you better. And Father, my prayer tonight, for myself, for my family, for this dear church, I pray, God, that we would realize that, that you're real and that the Bible is your word. And when we read our Bible, God, not necessarily hurry to see how many verses or chapters we can read, but just to read the word. There's a way that the Holy Spirit that inspired the Word has a way of taking that Word and just applying it to our minds so we can understand that it works itself into our hearts, begins to change our lives. God, help us not be preoccupied with things that would blind us, that with things that would cause us to put you and, and your kingdom to the side and if we're not careful to the back. And so, God, I pray tonight that these little stories, especially the one that Jesus told about the thorns, would maybe become more practical and more real in our life than we've ever known in Jesus' name. Amen.